um i'm not sure whether you um can actually see me and hear me but here i am claire ridgeway um going live using some new technology here i'll uh, just wait a few seconds just uh to make sure um that you are actually getting me it looks like you are um I'm just going, I'm using new technology here. So this is a little bit scary. Um, but yes, what you need to do is uh, so that I can see who you are, if you leave any comments or questions, um, you should be able to see a banner on your screen now. Visit streamyard.com slash forward slash Facebook if you'd like your name and profile pic to show when you comment. I think otherwise it just comes up with Facebook user. So so I'll leave that banner on the screen uh, for a few minutes uh, as people join in. But yes, welcome to uh, the December uh, Facebook uh, Live. Um, yeah, it's quite scary using uh, new technology, but uh, you know, I've got Amber in there keeping an eye on me. So uh, hopefully uh, this will work fine. So I'm just having a look at some comments. Um, oh, yes, I'm glad you can hear me. Tim says it's great sound and video. Kaylee's saying hello. I've got um, good evening. Hello. Hi, everyone. Um, so yes, do go to streamyard.com forward slash Facebook if you'd like, like Kaylee and Tim, uh, for me to be able to see your names. Um, and um, I'm going to leave that on the screen as people join us. But also, if you've got any questions you want to ask me, um, I'll put this up on the screen in a bit. Um, it would be great if you could put a queue in front of your question, put Q plus your question. And then I can easily uh, see questions that need to be answers. Um, hi Claire, very windy here in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. It's very windy in Spain as well. Actually not too bad today, but we've had terrible winds uh, this week. Everything's been blowing around. So a huge welcome, especially if this is your first live. Um, yeah, for me, it's 11 p.m., well, just after 11 in Spain. Um, it would be lovely to know where you're joining um, me from. Um, yes, Adam, I can see your name and photo. Uh, so, yes, I can. It's StreamYard is to be believed, Adam. I can see you. <laughs> so yeah, it would be great to know where you're tuning in from because I just love the fact that the Tudor Society is such a, well, an international um, society, people from all over the world. So it's really, really nice. Um, so let's have a look. Um, so yes, we have Pennsylvania. Obviously, Tim is downstairs uh, here in Spain, uh, just keeping an eye on this for me. So um so yeah, thank you for joining me. It's just, this is just, I'm just going to use this as a kind of chit chat. Oh, Rachel from Nottingham. I think actually I can do things like show comments as well. There you go, Rachel. <laughs> I've just picked you to show you. It's new technology. So uh, yes. So I think I can do, if I click on you again, you disappear. And then I think I can click on Adam. And there we go. See, I can do clever stuff like that. Isn't that great? <laughs> so, yes. Um, so, yeah, who have we got? Uh, Nerida, is it? Um, good morning from Australia. Yeah, it's morning there. Late at night here, but um, morning in Australia. Uh, Maisie joining from Yorkshire. Oh, I do like playing with this. This is good fun. Um, Mary from Colorado. Hello to you in Colorado. Isle of Grain, Kent, Facebook user. I reckon that's Lorna. So uh, I'm sure Lorna's there. So hello, Lorna. So yes, visit streamyard.com forward slash Facebook if you'd like your name and your profile pic to show when you comment. I'm going to leave that 
there for a bit. So I'm just going to have a little bit of a chat just to let you know what I've been uh, doing. Um, so I've been busy. Um, you might have seen I did post on um, the Tudor Society, I think, earlier today. Um, and I've post, been posting on the Amber Lynn files about how I'm going to be running um, a live, uh, well, live series of lives, um, an event, um, Amber Lynn, um, the women behind the myths. So there she is. Um, and I'm going to be doing that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So this coming week, 13th, 14th, and 15th of December. Um, I'm going to be going live each day um and i'll be talking about sort of uh different topics and trying to bring amberlyn sort of to life um there'll be lives followed by q a sessions so uh, a little bit scary um but yes i'm hoping it will be really interesting for uh amberlyn fans uh tudor history lovers worldwide it'll be great to um to have people joining me so it's completely free um you can see i'm going to actually put the details on the screen now so you can see that um should be a ticker at the bottom i do love this technology um you can actually go to the amberlynn files homepage and just scroll down a bit um there is a post just about um, giving a few more details about it. And if you're already on my um, subscriber list for the Amberlynn files, you will have received uh, details of the timings and that. Um, but for you special people, um, because you're uh, Tudor Society members, um, I can tell you that it's, uh, I think it works out at 11pm UK time. Um, but if if you're on the mailing list, you'll, you'll get um, the times in different time zones. Um, and I will be going live on YouTube, the YouTube channel, the Amberlynn Files and Tudor Society YouTube channel, and the Amberlynn Files Facebook page simultaneously, if technology works, if technology allows me. Um, and then if you're on the Amberlynn Files mailing list, you will also get a transcript of the um, of my talk afterwards, um, just so that you know, for people that have missed it, and there'll be replays available as well. But yes, I'm doing that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And I'm letting you know because you are special people. Um, I will be doing a bigger event, a week long event. Um, that's you know a full seven days. I think it works out Monday to Sunday, of talks about Amberlynn the woman, the Amberlynn the woman um, who changed England, and actually really fleshing out what made Amberlynn so very different when she came back from her time abroad. What made her so very different? Um, you know. <laughs> what made her the woman she was. Um, and so that's going to be seven days of talks, not just from me, uh, from um, reputable historians and authors, just fleshing out Amberlynn a bit more and really bringing her to life. So I'll be giving you details of that too. So all very exciting. So have a look at the Amberlynn Files um, homepage and there's also a post on the Tudor Society today. So I'm going to get rid of that ticker. So yes, streamyard.com forward slash Facebook if you'd like your name and your profile pic to show when you comment. And let's get rid of that one. And if you'd like to ask a question, it's easier for me to see if you put a queue in front of your question. So let's see if I've got any questions. Any questions um, about the Tudor Society? Uh, any questions about Tudor history? Any questions about the uh, live event? I'm quite, quite happy to answer. So let's have a look what we've got. So, uh, hi, Claire from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Facebook user says, looking forward to the Amberlynn event. Um, oh, Maisie is saying, is anybody looking forward to watching Lucy Worsley's Tudor Christmas program? I can't wait for it. I do like Lucy Worsley. And uh, yes, 
Tudor and Christmas, two of my favourite things. So yes, I'll definitely be uh, watching that. I don't know when it's on. I'll have to have a look at some TV listings. Who else have we got? We've got Debbie tuning in from San Francisco Bay Area in California. Um, Adam's saying that there was an amazing documentary on last week about Jane Boleyn with Tracy Borman. Yes, I think um, Owen, um, my co-author Owen, was in that as well. So I do need to catch up on that. I didn't manage to watch it, but I do need to catch up on that. Um, I think it was a, a real attempt um, to rehabilitate uh, Jane Boleyn. Um, which is wonderful because so much on social media, you know, makes her sort of responsible for the fall of the Boleyns. And, you know, the Tudor series obviously made her into a very spiteful, jealous woman as well. Um, but yes, Adrian Dillard and Charlie Fenton and uh, Julia Fox, of course, have all, um, you know, have all rehabilitated her in their work so um so yeah i'll definitely have to watch that we've got um facebook user from vermont um let's see um maisie's asking a question was the role of a tailor or dressmaker important in the tudor court and were there any that rose to distinct fame and fortune um yeah it would it I'm trying to think of the names. I can't think of the names um, offhand of the tailors, but well, there was William Locke, who was um, the mercer, who um, is mentioned in the expenses for Anne Boleyn. Um, we've got a huge list um, after her execution, actually, a huge list of things that she'd ordered, um, fabrics um, that she'd ordered for herself and for um, little Elizabeth, um, I'm trying to think, I might have done a talk for the Tudor Society about it, but I can dig it out, um, dig out the list for you, um, which is really, really interesting, down to like the fringes and tassels to go on, um, you know, furnishings in um, Elizabeth's nursery. And it just also gives you an idea of the colours of, um, you know, the garments that Anne Boleyn was wearing. Um, there were silk women um, who were used. Um, so yes, yeah, they, they were they were important, definitely, yes. Um, what have we got now? Susan, how influential was Anne Boleyn in introducing evangelicalism to Henry VIII? Well, I think she was, that's really hard because, I mean, Henry VIII died a Catholic. He never embraced reform, not in its true religious sense. I think Henry VIII was concerned in cleaning up abuses in the church um, and sort of using um, the kind of reformation for his own means. Um, but Anne Boleyn was very influential at her time as queen. Um, she was a patron to um, lots of men who rose in the church because of her influence, because of her patronage. Um, she obviously shared texts, um, reformist texts, um, with Henry VIII. Um, obviously, William Tyndall's um, Obedience of a Christian Man, that was the, the, the defining text that um, showed Henry VIII that um, the Pope wasn't kind of above him, wasn't between him and God, that as a ruler of his land, he was on a level with the Pope. So that affected things that, I mean, that her sharing that text with Henry VIII marking that text, you know, was a catalyst of the break with Rome. And there's also, um, it appears that, you know, she shared Simon Fisher's um, supplication for beggars or supplication of the beggars with um, with Henry VIII as well. So, so yeah, she would, she definitely was influential in, um, you know, bringing, helping bring about the Reformation. But, Henry VIII personally died a Catholic and 
you wouldn't call Anne Boleyn Protestant because it was far too early to call anyone Protestant in the 1530s. She was evangelical. She was um, supporting the idea of justification by faith, you know, saving yourself through faith by the grace of God. She supported the dissemination of the Bible in the vernacular in English. Um, so, so she was embracing the ideas that we later um, think of as Protestant, but she didn't deny the miracle of communion of the Eucharist. Um, so, so yes, I think she would have gone on to be what we call a Protestant, but it was still very early days. Um, Someone's saying, just tried to go to StreamYard and the page won't load. Sorry, I would, perhaps there's a glitch. It's StreamYard.com forward slash Facebook. Um, yes, love Lucy Wersey. Can we guess it in the US? I don't know. Um, you know, people do put these things illegally on uh, YouTube. Um, and obviously it depends whether US channels buy the series. So Maisie's saying, saying I believe it's on PBS. So... Yes, it could be. Um, what channel was the programme on? The Jane Boleyn one um, was on My5, which I think is one of the Channel 5 um, ones in the UK. Um, so I'm, I've got to try and catch up with that too. So let's have a look. Are there any books? Let's have a look at this one. Are there any books you would recommend about how to start with historical research? This is really interesting, actually. I'm so glad you, you asked that because I'm thinking of putting a masterclass, a course together. I'm not sure how long it'll be, perhaps a month to six weeks, actually teaching how to go from zero to actually having a finished um, sort of book or dissertation or, you know, using research for your family tree, how to actually go about doing historical research. I haven't actually found a book that teaches you how to do that, um, you know, how to access um, the primary sources. Um, but it's something that is very, very dear to me, very close to my heart um because you know i live in spain and i can't just i can't jump on a plane especially with the pandemic every time i want to go and access a primary source at the british library or the national archives um i need to be able to access things digitally so i want to really want to teach others how to do it so i'm actually thinking of putting a course together and teaching that but um there are actually there are resources i've done some um our Friday videos ages and ages ago. If you have a really good browse around the um, around the site, if you go to the Friday videos section under I think under contents um, on the Tudor Society, I have done some videos about research about using primary sources, um, researching Tudor people, and that. So that should help you in the meantime. Um, what else have we got? Let's have a look. Facebook users, I'm looking forward to the Jane Boleyn documentary. No luck so far finding it on YouTube. Now, I mean, these things get taken down anyway very, very quickly because obviously that is not legal for them to be put on YouTube. Adam, uh, you can meet Anne and ask her just one question. What would it be? Oh, that's so hard. I've got a huge list of questions. The one that springs to mind is, when were you born? <laughs> Just so that she can prove me right over Gareth Russell, really. Because <laughs> I go for the 1501 birthday and he, he very much goes for the 1507. And we uh, disagree amicably over it because we're very good friends. Um, so that's the one that springs to mind. Um, another one, how did she really feel? about um Henry VIII I think I'd love I'd love to know how how she felt about him um whether she did fall in love with him um yeah I think I'd ask her that I'd like to know Adam what you'd ask her so uh yes 
do tell me. I noticed that you have my favourite picture of Anne behind you. Which portrait of Anne do you feel is more lifelike or a truer image to Anne? Well, tune in on Monday to my, to my uh, live um, because I'm actually going to be talking about um, what did Anne Boleyn really look like? But um, yes, you might. The fact that I've got this behind me shows um, that that really is my my favourite. Um, yeah, my favourite portrait um it's obviously hard to know what she looked like I'm going to be discussing this on Monday and it's a free event so please please do tune in um but yeah we only really have the 1534 medal um which um you know is is an accepted contemporary image it was struck during Anne's lifetime 1534 while she was queen so we really only have that um there are a couple of other images um that uh could be Anne like the there's one in the black book of um the garter um oh and there is the the image of the cartoon image like the stick man with the smiley face image of her coronation banquet seating plan so um so yes, but tune in because I'm going to be going through all of the sort of contemporary evidence that we have about what she looked like. Um, Maisie says a masterclass on research would be great. I would love that. Uh, yeah, I, it's something that's really dear to me. I mean, education is something that's dear to me. Research is something I do every day and I've learned, you know, since 2009, I, I'm kind of self-taught and also had help from historians and authors on the way. Um, I was very lucky in that, so um, so yeah. So Adam says <laughs> that would be his first question. Oh, Anna, last with, with Gareth, I'm 1507. Oh, I'll banish you, Adam, <laughs> no. Uh, yes, well, it, there are arguments for both, so, you know, I, oh, Adam's also saying, I was full on team 1501, but was convinced last year to switch to 1507. So Maisie, let's have a look at what Maisie's saying. That's she knows. Would it help to look into other Berlin family members to get to the date? Um, no, it, no, there isn't, there, we just don't have the records. Um, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing like that. There's no dates of like Elizabeth Boleyn sort of being away and going into confinement, but there's nothing. And it's so unfortunate that um, churches, you know, didn't have to, um, you know, you didn't have to record births at the time. And it's so very, very frustrating. So, uh, so look, Adam's apologizing for not agreeing with me. <laughs> That's okay, you don't have to agree with me, that's fine. Um, so yes, I'm going to put back, so this is the link that you need to go to if you don't want Facebook user to come up, streamyard.com forward slash Facebook if you'd like your name and your profile pic to show when you comment. And yes, just put a queue in front of your question so that I can see it um, more easily. So streamyard.com forward slash Facebook. I think this technology is working okay. It's a little bit scary because I'm not at all techie, but uh, this seems quite uh, user-friendly. So uh, hopefully um, you're seeing me and hearing me okay. So um, yes. So, so yeah, so that's my news. So the 13th to the 15th, um, if you follow the Amberlynn Files Facebook page, um, I'll be going live in that at, it works out at 11 p.m. UK time. It will be midnight for me. I'm going to be talking at midnight. I might look a wreck and I might not make much sense, but there you go. Um, and you can you can figure that out. Well, the, I've got the timings um, that I, I will give to people who are on my mailing list for different time zones, but you can look up online anyway the um, what it is in your time zone. And I'll be doing that Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday at the same time. Talking, um, I'm going to be covering the first one. I'm going to be covering um, what did Anne Boleyn look like. Um, the second one, I'm going to be talking about Anne Boleyn, Porn or Predator. 
So uh, those are the two very diverse stereotypes that we have with uh, Anne Boleyn, especially on social media. And yes, the third one, what are we going to be talking about on the third one? I've forgotten all about it because my brain has completely stopped working. Ah, the third, oh, myths. All of the myths, I'll be looking at all the myths that surround um, Anne Boleyn and sort of uh, discussing um, the origins of them and challenging them. So yes, a series of three. And if you're on the mailing list, you'll get the transcripts um, as well. So, um, so yeah, and then I'll be announcing the bigger event, which will be uh, the end of February, it's February the 28th to the 6th of March, um, which will be a week long uh, conference on Amberlynn. So uh, yes, you'll get details if you join me on the lives for those. Um, also in the YouTube channel as well, I'll be going live. So Adam says, for me, the overriding piece of evidence, this is for the 1507 birthday, is the attitudes to age at the time. Um, yeah, for me, the overriding evidence that I feel for 1501 is the fact that Anne was appointed to serve Mary Tudor um, in France and then was kept on by Queen Claude. And I just can't see, I mean, if you go for 1507, that would mean that Anne was seven in 1514 when she was appointed to serve Mary Tudor and that she was seven going on eight when she was kept by Queen Claude. And I just can't see why a child of that age would be appointed. There's no evidence that she was, that they just thought she was pretty and wanted her around like in a nursery. Um, I, I don't see why King Louis, when he dismissed a lot of Mary Tudor's ladies and sent them back to England, why he would have kept a seven-year-old girl around. It just, to me, it just doesn't make sense. But you know, there's arguments for both sides. So, so yes, we, we can argue, argue lots. Um, so, yes, let's have a look at some more questions. Maisie, if only we had today's digitalization abilities, historical records would be much better. I, it's wonderful. I mean, I'm always amazed at Victorian historian Agnes Strickland. Um, you know, her writing, I know she gets things wrong, um, but it's amazing the work that she did, you know, her Lives of the Queens of England, all those books that she wrote, using the um, all of the records, having to cope with all of the 16th century handwriting by herself, having to sort of transcribe them herself and, and understand them herself. Whereas today, you know, we we can you know we've got them digitally. I c I can look at the proper records in in you know with the with the 16th century handwriting, but I can also look at the transcripts of them, um, which are far easier to read. And and you know you can access digital archives. So load, I can just on my computer within minutes I can look at documents from the 16th century. So I always find it amazing, historians in the past. Let's have a look at Tara's question. What is the most surprising thing you've discovered about Anne Boleyn that you just didn't expect? Ooh, what didn't I expect? I would say that as when Owen and I were working on our book on Hever Castle, um, and the Boleyns of Hever Castle. I think it was the fact that Hever was so important to them. Um, so not just to Anne, but to the family. Um, you know, as we mentioned in the book, and I've said it before, Hever wasn't the most prestigious property that they owned, but it was the property that they chose as their home. And that. And the fact that so many key events in Anne's story took place there, um, it's where she spent her childhood, 
depending on whether you go with the 1507 birth date or the 1501 birth date, you know, she, if you go for the 1507 birth date, she was born at Hever. Um, if you go for the 1501 birth date, she was probably born at Blickling. Um, but it was the place she would have called home. It was the place that she went to in times of sort of trouble and stress when Henry VIII was wooing her. She went back to Hever. We know that from the love letters he sent her. Um, he talks about her being at Hever. She thought, fought off um, sweating sickness at Hever, along with Thomas Boleyn also was ill at the time at Hever. She was sent there. Um, well, she went back to Hever, um, you know, really, really annoyed and upset, heartbroken when her relationship with Henry Percy um, was broken up. She was at. She was sent to Hever at times when Henry VIII needed her out of the way um, with his struggles with the annulment with the Great Matter. When he needed it to look as if it was only his conscience over Queen Catherine, you know, his marriage being incestuous, he needed Anne sort of out of the way. And and he sent ambassadors to her at Hever to report back to her. And, I was, it was just the fact that Heva was is so important in her story uh, that I think that was the most surprising thing, and that uh, Owen and I really do believe that it was at Heva the Christmas of um, fifteen twenty six, fifteen twenty seven, the, the twelve days of Christmas that Anne made that decision and probably discussed it with her father. Um, made that decision to accept Henry VIII's proposal. I really imagined them discussing that at Hever. So I think that was the most surprising thing. But perhaps when I first started researching, just the fact that Anne Boleyn, the Anne Boleyn that I found in the records was nothing like, like the Anne Boleyn of the Tudors series or Anne Boleyn of the other Boleyn girl, you know, and what a travesty, um, you know, it's fiction um, has been for Anne. I mean, the amount of comments on social media that are just, you know, paint her as a very two-dimensional character because people have read fiction or watched series like The Tudors and just believe that Anne was like that. And so perhaps that surprised me as well when I first started researching. Um, let's have a look what else we've got. Um, So Tara's saying that's really lovely. Heva is very special. Yeah, if you, for those of you that haven't been to Heva, please, please do go to Heva. I mean, it's so beautiful. Um, another good place is the Tower. I have to say that, Tara, don't I, because you work there. <laughs> I love the Tower as well. And um, my favourite part of the Tower, I know nobody's asked, asked this, but I will say it because of the fact that... Um, that Tara, I often meet Tara there. Um, my favourite part of the tower is the Beecham Tower, Beecham Tower, because I love the Tudor graffiti in it. Um, it's just amazing. I find it really moving, actually, just seeing the carvings and the stone from prisoners there. Um, you know, Amberlynn's falcon badge without its crown and, and scepter, you know, that, that is very, very moving. Um, another favourite piece of graffiti is the, the Dudleys, the Dudley family one, which is just exquisite with the, the bare and ragged stuff of, um, you know, the, because they were the Earls of Warwick, the bare and ragged stuff is still today the badge of Warwickshire. I grew up in Warwickshire, so um, I even had that on, like, my school uniform and, and that. Um so I just um that's that's a beautiful carving with um different flowers to symbolise um the different members of the Dudley family who were um imprisoned there. Um so yes, Beecham Tower, I absolutely adore it. What other questions have we got? I've got Maisie saying I remember Heva being mentioned a lot in the other Berlin Girl book. It was made to seem like a domestic paradise. Yes, yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful place. I mean, it's, you know, it's a castle, Hever Castle. It's, you know, got the, the crenellations and that, but it's a Tudor manor house. 
within that castle and it's it's just beautiful um yeah it's just it's just so lovely and i mean it's obviously been used a lot um in films and series um the Blinds a scandalous family that um i contributed behind the scenes to i couldn't get over to london for the filming it was that was so awful when i couldn't get over there because of the pandemic but i i did um a lot of help for them uh, a lot of research behind the scenes that a lot of that was filmed there and of course you've got movies like um another thousand days that was filmed there and um the helena bonham carter um lady jane gray um movie uh parts of that filmed there so yeah heaver is really beautiful and if you go to heaver as well make sure you go to Penshurst place down the road as well because that's beautiful i've got a question where did anne learn about the evangelical religion and from whom well this would have been um her father was definitely evangelical um he he definitely was a reformed man a humanist and of the reformed faith as well so i'm sure from her early days there would have been the influence of her father <clears throat> excuse me i'm just going to have a drink but <clears throat> a huge influence um would have been her time abroad um, especially in France. I mean, Anne was in France between 1514 and uh, 1521. And she she would have been surrounded um, by people that were of the Reformed faith. And we know from the books that Anne Boleyn read, um, she was reading books um, by evangelicals such as Clement Marot, um, Jacques Lefebvre de Taple. Um, she had a collection of books and manuscripts um, by French evangelicals and French evangelicals were more concerned with cleaning up the church from the inside, tackling abuses, getting back to the authority of scripture. Um, they could see that the, the church had become full of abuses like the sale of indulgences for example and they wanted to get back to scripture what the bible said um and yes that's the influence that Anne was under was was the french influence uh french reform that was non-schismatic which didn't um support breaking with the church at the time but cleaning it up and getting back to what was important getting back to what scripture said so yes france was her time in france was hugely influential georgia we said earlier that anne was evangelical but didn't she talk about her good deeds when she was at the tower the catholic view of faith Good deeds, what Anne believed and what the French, um, what the the, the 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 manuscripts and the books that she read, um, what the French theologians said was that good works came from your faith. If you were a good Christian, if you believed that you were saved by the grace of God, if you if you believed in God, then you naturally wanted to do good works. But good works weren't necessary for, you know, you couldn't buy your way to heaven by doing good works. They were a natural extension, as was charity, you know, and was um, very, very um, interested um, in poor relief and education. It was an expression of your true faith. Um, you wanted to do good. You wanted to make the world a better place. You wanted to do good with your life. So it was a natural expression of your faith. So yes, good works were important, but not they weren't necessary for you to get into heaven. So that was the difference. That was the difference between the um, what the church was saying kind of at the time and what the evangelicals were saying, um, you know, how they were interpreting scripture. 
Adam is asking, what do you think is a massively underrated film or TV portrayal of Anne Boleyn? Oh. I think everyone always puts emphasis on the other Boleyn girl, which I think is a terrible depiction of Anne Boleyn, and not, a, not enough emphasis is put on Anne of the Thousand Days. Um, I think Jean-Vierre Vujol does an absolutely fantastic job as Anne. I mean, I know it's still fictional. There's still things that aren't right in it. But um, I think that, and I, I, I yeah, true Anne fans <laughs> have seen it, but it doesn't, you know, when people are just beginning to sort of find out about Anne Boleyn and getting to Anne Boleyn, it's really the other Boleyn girl that um, they see. So Anne of the Thousand Days, I would say. Maisie, from living in Spain, have you discovered any interesting local Tudor history? Last week I was searching to find any Yorkshire Tudor history and was interested to find out that Yorkshire elites were considered powerful in court. Yes, I mean, you, yeah, the North um was was yeah very important um you know you've got you've got the fact that um obviously the the rebellions um in the north and you know henry the eighth and catherine howard went on a progress to the north um you know to kind of to to put them in their place and to sort of uh yes accept their apologies um and monetary um you know uh uh, gifts. Um, so yeah, I mean, and you've got in Elizabeth's um, reign the, the rising of the northern northern earls, um, and that, yeah, there's so much Tudor history, um, you know, in the north of England. But yeah, it, obviously in Spain, um, there's there's the link um, here. I mean, I'm in Andalusia. I'm only just over an hour from Granada and my daughter is at university in Granada State which gives us a great excuse to uh, spend a lot of time in Granada that's the Alhambra Palace which obviously isn't isn't Tudor I mean nothing's Tudor in Spain um, and it obviously dates back way way further but it is where Catherine of Aragon spent those um, fi her final um, you know few years in Spain, she spent at the Alhambra Palace. Um, and so I love going there and just thinking of her enjoying the sort of gardens there and the, the beautiful Nazareth palaces, which would have stood there when she was there. They're just amazing Moorish architecture and the Moorish gardens, the running water, the um, lemon and orange trees. And oh, it, it just, it must have been quite a disappointment to go to London, smelly London, um, after that, really. Um, so, so yeah, things like that. The yeah, going to the Alhambra and just imagining Catherine or Catalina, as she was known in Spain, um, imagining her her sort of her time there. Tara is saying uh, for her at the tower, it's the chapel. I find it so peaceful and so beautiful. Which one? Um, the, the chapel in the White Tower or the uh, chapel of St. Peter ad Vincula. Um, yeah, they're both both beautiful, aren't they? I, I love visiting both of them. love paying my respects at the chapel of St. Peter ad Vincula to George and Anne and, of course, Catherine Howard and Jane Boleyn and all the other people that uh, are buried there. Look. Um, George says, thank you for answering the question. Adam, yes, Jean-Vierre is the Anne. She's just brilliant, isn't she? My mother had a saying, always do one good deed a day, no matter how small it is, for the kindness shown by it will come back to you tenfold. I, I totally agree. I don't agree with, with sort of karma, but I do believe that you reap what you sow. Um, I do think if you put goodness out in the world, then it will sort of come back to you. And if you put something horrid out there in the world, then things will come back to bite you on the bottom. Quote from Claire there. <laughs> Maisie, I agree with Anne's portrayal in The Other Bling Girl. I was fuming as I read it. I love the book, but it's a nightmare for historical inaccuracies. Yeah, I think, you know, if you can take it just purely as fiction, it's a good read and it's, it's, 
is one of the ways that people find Anne and become fascinated with her through reading that book or watching the movie or there was a series as well on it. But yeah, I just don't like the fact that in the author's notes, uh, Philippa Gregory seems to make out that it's factual and you think, no, no, it's not. It's really not. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love, I, I do enjoy Philippa Gregory's style of writing. I'd, I'd like the, um, I'm trying to think of, is it the Meriden? The Meriden trilogy I really, really enjoyed of hers. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, but, uh, the more you know about, the more you get to know about the real Anne, the more that book makes you fume, definitely. Adam is saying that for him, the underrated portrayal is Claire Foy. Yes. Um, for you, yes. <laughs> for me, she just really annoyed me. <laughs> no, I really do. I don't like Wolf Hall. Um, I didn't like the books. I didn't like the series. I just, I didn't. I didn't like the style. Um, I never got to grips with it. I didn't. I didn't like any of the characters in it, and I always have to like at least one character when I'm reading a book. Um, I think Claire Foy is a brilliant actress, but I just I hated the way that she suddenly went put on a French accent when she was talking to Cromwell. I went Cromwell. I thought, well, if you're going to give Anne a French accent, then make her have a French accent all the time. Don't have her just calling Cromwell. Cromwell. Um, so yes. Um, so yes, he's saying it's not the most uh, sympathetic portrayal, but the acting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Claire Foy is, is a brilliant actress, but but yeah, I just, for me, Wolf Hall just wasn't great. So Tara's saying that she meant St. Peter Advincula. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's beautiful there. Didn't you get married in the chapel of St. Peter Advincula, Tara? It's just absolutely beautiful. I mean, I go there and, yeah, you just get a sense of peace there, even though obviously executed people are buried there. And I always like to go up on um, Tower Hill as well and pay my sort of respects there as the place that, you know, like obviously George Berlin is someone I feel very strongly about. And obviously he was laid to rest in the chapel but, you know, the scaffold site on Tower Hill was where he and lots of others, the men of 1536, um, were um, executed. And obviously people like Guilford Dudley and uh, lots of lots of others. Um, so I like to go and pay my respects there as well when I visit the tower. So uh, <laughs> I really wanted to slap Claire. <laughs> oh, dear. Rachel, I think you missed my question. Uh, let's have a look. I'm scrolling up, Rachel. I'm sorry. Uh, can't see a question from you, Rachel. Oh, hang on. Got it. To what extent do you think the failure of Henry and Anne's marriage was due to the inability to produce a son? Henry had been trying with Catherine for years, but this seemed to have much, much less patience with Anne. I think Anne's fall was um, due to a lots of factors, a kind of perfect storm. Not That's not quite the right way of saying it, but lots and lots of factors. I think Anne miscarrying in January 1536 after Henry VIII had just had his jousting accident, which kind of was a reminder of his mortality and the fact that he still didn't have a son, was that kind of final nail in in the in her coffin, um, really. And the fact that Catherine of Aragon died in that January as well, so he could leave Anne without being forced to recognise his marriage to Catherine and go back to Catherine. There were lots and lots of factors, but I think that miscarriage, that just, yeah, his brush with with death, the miscarriage, the kind of the idea that actually, why wasn't God blessing this marriage with a son either? Um, there must be something wrong with it. And of course, Jane Seymour was in the wings. I think she went from being a kind of courtly love flirtation to him suddenly thinking, ah, oh, Yes, 
she's from a very fertile family. They're a big family. Um, perhaps she could give me a son. I so many factors, but yes, it was definitely, definitely a factor. Thank, thank you, Rachel. Uh, let's scroll back down. Uh, let's have a look. <laughs> Adam says he loved he loved the Cremwell thing. He thought it was genius. It just got on my nerves. It really, really did. Um, because yeah, she I, I think she would she definitely would have had a very French style. She'd spent formative years in France. She'd um she that I think that was one of the things that made her very, very different. She came back a real Renaissance uh, woman. Um, but I just don't think she would have just used it while speaking to uh, Cromwell. So Maze says, a good historical fiction author pays attention to the facts. Um, yes, is Margaret George. I Yeah, I really liked um, Margaret George's um, The the autobiography of Henry VIII, which is huge. It's like biblical proportions, um, but I really, really did enjoy that one. I can't remember, um, didn't she do one on Elizabeth as well? Um, so yeah, I really like um, Margaret George and I like Jean Plady and she's not someone that gets it right. But I think when you can, when, when an author isn't claiming that their historical fiction is factual and is a retelling of the story then you know I don't mind what they do with it but I just don't like it when they're claiming something is factual and it's really not so yeah I really I've really enjoyed the books of Jean Plady I love C.J. Sansom um his Shard Lake stories I love um Tony Mount's um Sebastian Foxley medieval mysteries oh there's all sorts I love historical fiction when it is fiction and it's obviously so so yes tara <laughs> tara says she did get married at the chapel and unlike some tudor marriages her marriage is still going strong which is very good to know <laughs> oh dear so we've got yeah wolf hall was beyond bad yeah you know i've got a very very close friend who absolutely loved it and obviously it won you know won awards um the Booker Prize. Um, it just for me, I didn't like the style and the point of view. It just, it just didn't work for me. But but that's my own personal opinion. And I just didn't like how the men were depicted. And I didn't even like Cromwell, um, either. Um, you know, I think we were supposed to obviously, uh, sympathise, empathise with Cromwell, but I just didn't like him either. So. Nerida. My husband's family told me when we got married that they were descended from Anne Boleyn. I told them that, that it was impossible. They weren't impressed. But one of my husband's aunts did some family research and found out I was correct. Their ancestor jumped ship in Australia and changed his name to Percy Joseph Austin Boleyn. How interesting. Yeah, I, I get emails all the time from people saying that um, they're descended, directly descended from Anne Boleyn. And I kind of have to put it very diplomatically and politely that you can't be directly descended from Anne Boleyn because she had one child um she had Elizabeth and unless you go with the whole myths that Elizabeth had um you know had pregnancies um you know Elizabeth died um childless so so no um that's totally impossible so um yeah um I don't, you can't be descended from someone whose child died childless. Um, but obviously, Mary Boleyn had two children who had both had very large families and their children had large families. So there are people all over the world who are descended from Mary Boleyn, including our present royal family. And um, as I've said before, um, Princes William and Harry have got Boleyn blood twice over because um you know their father uh is descended from one of the Carey children I, I could never remember offhand without looking up which, whether it was Henry or Catherine Carey Mary Boleyn's children and Prince William and Harry their um their mother uh Diana Princess of Wales the late Diana Prince Princess of Wales um is descended from the other um so you know they've got 
they both just both their mother and father descend from um the Careys from Mary Boleyn so and there are people all over the world because because the Careys had such big families so yes lots and lots of people with Boleyn blood but not directly descended from Anne Boleyn Queen Anne Boleyn there are other Anne Boleyns but not Queen Anne Boleyn um Adam says, um, yeah, it does waffle. The, yeah, it's made people question how good Thomas More was. I mean, he's a multifaceted character, as all, as all people are, good and bad. Um, yes, he wasn't quite Saint Thomas More, but then he wasn't a baddie either. Tara, I once went to Yorkshire for a week and came back with a Yorkshire accent. It didn't stay very long. I do think people adapt easily to accents. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yes, I mean, I I I I pick up accents really quickly as well. You know, I suddenly find I get an Aussie twang if I've been talking to a, an Australian friend. Um, so yes, I think Anne. I mean, she would have spoken fluent French with a very native French accent because she was completely surrounded. Um, by French speakers on a daily basis uh, for seven years. Um, you know, our children have grown up here in Spain and speak Spanish in an, with an Andalus accent um, because we're in Andalusia. Um, you know, they're native speakers of it, um, but they also speak English in a very English accent. Um, but yeah, she definitely would have. I'm sure she she. I don't know. Would she have spoken English with a French accent? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it's hard to know. <laughs> I like the way that Maisie thinks we ought to start a club against <laughs> Oh, the question. Do you ever wonder what Anne would think if she knew how many supporters and fans she had? I think she'd be very humbled to to know that you know the world is still so fascinated with with her yes definitely definitely humbled and happy and i think you know her last words sort of on the scaffold about you know if, if anyone is to meddle in her cause she ho she hoped that they would judge her the best and I, and i hope you know that she's pleased that there are people that you know are working hard to rehabilitate her this many years later. I think she'd find that humbling. It would be very happy. One of Mary Boleyn's descendants has an American state named for him, Delaware. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Yes. So, so yes, they're all over the world. I think she would too. I hope she knows. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure Anne would be pleased. Um, so yeah, but definitely humbled as well. I don't think she would expect to have people talking to, talking about her and um, having these, you know, events about her and, you know, Heva Castle uh, telling her story and all these things you can buy with her image on, you know, I think she'd be overwhelmed by it. So Maisie, this is why I cry when reading about Tudor, her stories. It makes me feel so happy that they can do some justice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Tara. Sorry, I lost your question. A twist to that last question. What would Henry VIII think of us supporting Anne 500 years later? I think he'd be quite cross, actually. I think he'd want uh, the attention on him. Uh, why are we concentrating on Anne and not him? Of course, I do do a lot of writing about Henry VIII as well. I mean, Anne Boleyn is my specialism, but there are so many people that write about Henry VIII. I mean, if you think about all the books that have been written about Henry VIII, uh, all the portraits that still exist of Henry VIII, uh, he still gets lots of attention. But I think he would be quite cross about um, the attention that Anne and his other wives, uh, you know, get. So yes, Adam is asking if I've seen six. No, that that is on my list. I've I've got the soundtrack. Um, 
but I haven't actually seen it. The pandemic has stopped um, stopped me traveling to the UK, really, and doing things like that. So, so yes, uh, I'd love I'd love to see the sassy and and actually all of the wives. I think they did a brilliant job. I love the music. Um, do I believe? It's just coming up to the end, but I'll carry on for a few minutes. Do you believe that Mary Boleyn had Henry VIII's child? No, I don't actually. I'm of the opinion that Mary Boleyn slept with the king before her marriage to William Carey. I think she probably slept with him in 1519 when Bessie Blunt was pregnant with Henry Fitzroy. Um, we know that Mary Boleyn returned to England. She, uh, she didn't stay on in France like Anne did. And she married William Carey in 1520. We've got absolutely no evidence about when Mary slept with Henry, only that it happened at some point. Um, just because he rode out um, at the 1522 joust with, you know, a motto, she has wounded my heart, doesn't mean that was about Mary Boleyn. That could have just been the theme, the chivalric theme of the joust. They always had a sort of chivalric theme doesn't mean it was aimed at, at Mary. It could have been aimed at anyone or not aimed at anyone at all. Um, so I just think, you know, he slept with Bessie Blunt and then arranged a good marriage for her. I think he slept with Mary Boleyn and then arranged a good marriage for her with one of his um, es esquires of the body and privy chamberers. Um, I do not believe that he slept with her as a married woman. Uh, I don't believe either of her children were were his. Um, let's have a look. Yeah, Rachel says take Anne's portrayal and sticks with a pinch of salt. Yeah, I can tell from you know the soundtrack, the songs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it it's fun. Um, and I'm sure Anne herself actually would have a laugh about it. Um, so, yeah. Um, Maisie, do I think that George was bisexual? Um, no, there, there's no, no, there's no evidence um, to, to suggest that. Um, it's that comes from entirely from fiction and from twisting um, his words on the scaffold. I've written a biography of George Billin um, with my dear friend Claire Cherry, and we talk about it in that. But yeah, a quick answer to that because it is. Um, I do need to go because I do need to go to bed because I'm not going to make much sense uh, for much longer. Um, there is absolutely no evidence that he was uh gay or or bisexual um yeah i mean one piece of evidence is that he um yeah he shared a book or a satire on marriage with mark smeaton so we're supposed to believe that he was having an affair with mark smeaton um because of that well thomas wyatt's signature is also in the book um, it was a book that was passed around um, a group of men who loved literature and who who sort of found this satire funny. Um, it no, there's 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 no evidence. Um, no, no. Uh, Maisie said she's planning on reading the book. Thank you. I do hope you enjoy it. Oh, one more question. One more question. I will do one more question. Did George Boleyn commit incest with Anne Boleyn? No. <laughs> That's my answer to that. There, apart from the fact that they were charged with it, there is no evidence that they did. And Chapuis, him, um, the imperial ambassador who didn't like either of them, who was a Queen Catherine supporter, said that the only evidence that was used was the fact that George and Anne spent time in her chambers alone because George would go and report to Anne about his embassies. Um, so, um, and, and they were close and he, he you know, prepared a, an evangelical manuscript uh, for her. She was his beloved sister. They, they shared um, a passion for, 
theology for the reformist faith. They, they were close, but there was no other evidence apart from they did spend time together alone. That was the sole sort of evidence that was used at the trial, according to Shapri. So that it was a way of totally blackening their name. Um, there is absolutely no contemporary evidence that there was anything strange about their relationship. So, okay, I am going to love you and leave you. Uh, thank you so very much um, for, for joining me. Um, I'm just going to remind you. Um, right, so let's. So information about the Amberlin live event, which is taking place Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week, you can find at the Amberlin files. Um, that link is very, very long. <laughs> but if you go to the Amberlin files homepage and scroll down a few posts, you can find the post about it. Uh, make sure actually that you go and sign up for my email list if you're not on it. You'll find if you go to the Amberlin Files homepage, as you look at it on the left, there is a link saying free report. You get five free gifts for signing up to the um, mailing list. And the good thing about being on the mailing list is you'll get transcripts of the talks that I do. So if you can't make them live, you can watch the replays and you get transcripts sent to you if you're on the mailing list. And if you're on the mailing list, you will get full details of the event that I'm doing in the spring along with a few other wonderful excellent historians um, and we're really really committed to fleshing out this dear lady and looking at her sort of early life and what made her so very different what made her the Amberlin that she was. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. It's um, a week-long conference and you will find out about it if you're on the list. So, so yeah. Thank you so very much for joining me and listening to me ramble on and talk Tudor. I really could do it um, all night. So, yeah, thank you. Uh, I've got lots of people saying thank you. Claire Shepard saying thank you. See you Monday. Yeah, great that you can make it. So many people uh, saying thank you and good night. So, yeah, I'm so glad that you enjoy these. Uh, <laughs> thank you, George. I love the llama top. Yeah, hang on. I can show you my look. It's, yeah, it's actually a Christmas jumper. It's so cold here at, at night at this time that I have to put Cardi on as well. But yes, that is my Christmas jumper. Um, so yeah, and he comes out once a year, really. <laughs> anyway, thank you so, so much. Uh, Debbie saying thank you as well. All of you saying thank you. Good night to you. Thank you for joining me. And thank you for bearing with me as I've, uh, yes, got to grips with this new technology. I hope to see you on Monday uh, at the live events, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. So take care and good night and loads of love to you.